The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello, Tamarindo Podcast Amiguis. This is a bonus episode for your ears. It is a conversation we hosted live for our Tamarindo Podcast listeners, a conversation with Erika L. Sanchez, who is the Mexican-American poet, novelist, and essayist behind the New York Times bestselling novel, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. And she's here to talk to us about her new memoir, Crying in the Bathroom. So enjoy this bonus episode of Tamarindo. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast, hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder, and me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. Hi, Erika. Welcome to Tamarindo. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So excited to have you. And then I'm going to, for folks that don't know, I mean, you you don't need any introduction. Everybody here is so <laughs> excited to have you. We're so, so thrilled. But just in case, Erika L. Sanchez is the Mexican-American poet, novelist, and essayist. She is the author of the New York Times bestselling novel, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, currently being developed for film by America Ferrera. We are all very excited for that. But today she's here to discuss her new memoir, Crying in the Bathroom, which is out now and I'll take a moment to let folks know you should definitely order it at sholobooks.com because if you use the offer code tamarindo, you get 10% off. Welcome again, Erika. Thank you so much. All right, Anishayla, kick us off. Yeah, we'll get started. So your opening chapter right away, I think had any anyone that's read it had us hooked. So you start the book off talking right away about your vagina so bluntly and so <laughs> honestly. Um, what made you start the book that way? You know... I think I have a history of being a little bit scandalous and it just, it's always been my nature. I've been thinking about my childhood with my friend, uh, Claudia, who is also in the book and we would say the most outrageous things all the time. And it was really fun for us to see people get so uncomfortable over things that we didn't think were really that serious, you know? And so I feel the same way with this where, you know, talking about, one's vagina is very taboo among many people. But to me, it's like, why do I have to be ashamed of that part of my body? It just feels really misogynist. And so I'm, I'm trying to like take control of that and, and, and in a sense, um, rebel against that notion that, that we're dirty or, or you know, unclean, whatever you want to describe it as. And so 
that's really why I did it. And I, I love a good introduction. I just really love like bringing the reader like right into the world that I'm building. Yes, we love it. I feel like you set the stage right, right away for the tone of the rest of the book. And we loved it. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Especially in a time where, you know, there's actually Latinas are disproportionately dying because of this taboo that we have about vaginas. And I'd like to talk to you about, you know, your book is being really well received, but I'd love to hear from you. What does it feel to you to hear Latinas especially connecting to this book? What does that mean for you? That means everything to me because I write from that perspective and I I really write for people like me because I grew up with uh, very little representation. And so um, it's an honor to, to be embraced by this community that I, I so care about. And so, um, I just came back home last night from San Francisco. I've been touring and everywhere I go, I just get these big groups of Latinas who are just so excited. And I love that, you know, because for so long, you know, we haven't been um, represented in, in any sort of media. And also we don't talk about a lot of these things. There's so much shame for us just because of Catholicism and, you know, our traditional households. And so to me, it's been one of my greatest joys in my career to, to connect with um, brown and black women all over the country. I want to share just personally reading your book for me was very healing and, you know, and all of our experiences are different, but just those things that we share in common makes us feel connected to writers like you, even if our stories are different. And for me, I found it very healing in the face that I'm going through in, in my life. So I just want to thank you again for, for writing what you did. But um, I want to talk about the importance of humor in your life. Um, how was it writing with your signature humor in this book? I absolutely loved that you brought it in so so fully. Thank you. Um, humor is something that is very, very important to me. And it has been for a long time because humor was something that I discovered was both like comforting and also a weapon and it it helped protect me in many ways from so much judgment and so um humor also among latinos among mexicans in particular um because that's what i know best like we use humor to cope with really tough things because life for us is typically really hard in many different ways and so i think humor is is how people survive because otherwise you would be like hiding under a blanket all the time you know there's there's um so much that it puts us in danger that um destroys our communities etc and and we have to find a way to survive it and for me it's often through laughter because it's so absurd. And I I like to point out how silly things are through humor. I love it. I love it. It just, I mean, we've talked to to other comedians or or other writers that also use humor and and so many of them just reiterate that, you know, humor as a weapon, humor as a way to cope, humor as a, as a way to, to heal. And I think, and I think we saw that throughout your book. Thank you. Um, 
speaking speaking of, of healing, you also write very openly about your mental health struggles, and I think that very much resonates with with a lot of folks um, that have read your book or that are even here in this conversation. Why was this important to you, and 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 what do you hope people get from reading about it? You know, I've lived with this mental illness my entire life. I'm convinced that I, I was born this way, and um, living with something like this has been such a challenge. There were times where like, I really didn't know if I was going to make it that I, I really didn't feel like there was any hope or that, you know, life was different on the other side. The, the, I didn't know that there was another side. And so, um, I, I find that many people believe that mental illness is a choice it's, you know, it's just craziness. It's you're lazy. You're not trying it hard enough that you haven't, you know, consulted with God enough. You should go pray about it. You know, all of these different ideas of, of what mental illness is and how to treat it. And a lot of it is just false. And so I wanted to demystify and also destigmatize what it means to live with um, bipolar disorder specifically. And, um, I, I find that there's so many women all over who suffer from similar illnesses who just didn't realize that it was so widespread, you know, that it, that other people um, like them struggled with that. And so I, I write with them in mind as well. Like you're not alone. It's not um, a choice. It's something that, needs like actual medical treatment. And, and I wanted to be really honest about that. I think we're close to a similar age. So it was really fun to read your book and just thinking about what I was doing in those at that stage in my life. And I wondered, as you were looking back, um, I, I think this kind of came through in the book, were you surprised at like the, the barriers that you were breaking by living alone as a Mexican woman, traveling to Europe as a Mexican woman, you know, having many lovers as a Mexican <laughs> woman? What was it like to revisit that um, with this perspective? It was kind of fun in some ways to just look back on my life and to see all of the the crazy crap that I did and um, all, all the mistakes I made, but also all the successes and triumphs and um, all the joys that I've, I've experienced. I, you know, at the time when I was breaking these barriers, I didn't really think of it so much in that way. I thought of it as like, I need to survive. I need to live. I need to be myself. Um, and I knew that I was like violating all of these rules that were set for me, but it didn't feel like for me, it was just more survival than anything. And, um, I, I'm really glad that I, I took that route that I was unafraid, um, to, to upset the, the status quo, including my parents. Um, I mean, I didn't love making them upset, but I also didn't want to live my life in a way that felt untrue to me. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's been a wild life, but I, I feel that it was all worth it. Everything led me here, all the mistakes, all the triumphs, all of it. Yeah. 
Um, and I'd like to um, also explore something else that, that comes through in your book. And I know you've, you've shared on Twitter that, you know, right now you're on tours so or you're away from your young baby daughter. And I know that's, that's challenging. I'd like to know, um, you know, and, and you've shared before, you know, that your daughter is both black and Mexican. I'd love to know why you feel so uh, motivated to write about anti-blackness in our community. And, you know, it comes through in the book and it also is part of your voice. Mm-hmm. Why is that important to you? It's important to me because it's extremely dehumanizing and it's been something that's bothered me ever since I was a young woman. And um, it's so ingrained in our culture in some ways because of colonialism and uh, the racism here in the United States and and slavery. I mean, it's all tangled. And um, I felt that it was something that we need to confront as a people and to understand where it comes from and why we do it and what can be done. And, you know, I wrote that before I, well, before I had my daughter, I didn't know I was going to have a black and brown daughter. And it was interesting how that um, developed. Um, But for me, it's just, I, I can't stand it when there's any form of, injustice, whether it be racial or gendered or, or, you know, class, whatever. It's, it's something that we're better than, like we, we can do better. And so I, I, I wrote about it with that lens. Yeah. It's sort of a call to action mm-hmm. for us to do, do, do better. Um, well, I want to remind folks that they can submit questions through the chat. Um, please feel free to, to do that. And Shayla, while we accept some questions, do you have any um, additional questions for Erica? I can also ask a few too, but I want to give you a chance now. Yeah, well, not a question, just, just a comment I, I wanted to share. Um, I just wanted to appreciate um, something that you said earlier, Erica, about how all the mistakes and all the experiences led you to to where you are. I think one of the things that I found really uplifting through, through sharing of moments that were difficult were that it's, that it's really never too late to start a new chapter of your life or to take a pivot. And, and, and I feel like you, you shared that in the book. And, and, and I think that resonates with a lot of folks. It's just remembering that just because you've been going through following a certain path, doesn't mean that it's not that, it's not okay to start again if it's really you pursuing what's more in, in alignment with with what you really want to do and, and what really fulfills you. So I, I just wanted to say how uplifting that was to, to read that in, in your book. Can you tell our folks here a little bit about how it's been a calling for you to be a writer? Like, how did that emerge and, and how did that calling move you away from where you felt trapped in, in, a, in a terrible, it sounded like a terrible corporate job of clocking in and clocking out? Oh, my God. I've had so many terrible jobs. Um, well, writing for me has always been a place where I, I feel free. And I think of it as a place to me, it's a very spiritual realm and it's where I get to be my full self and I get to really have uh, a communion with nature, with uh, people, with, uh, you know, the sky, whatever. I, I feel like it's something that makes me feel really alive. And um, I write because it, it, it makes me feel 
free, you know, also I, I feel like I can do anything. And, um, it took me so long to get recognized for it. And I often thought like, what am I doing? Is this ever going to happen? I was scared often because I wasn't sure. And it wasn't that I, I was unsure of myself. I mean, I knew that I had talent and that I was really hardworking. My fear was that, you know, this is a very white world and will anyone accept me? Will I ever be published, et cetera. And so, um, but at the same time, like I didn't know what else I could ever do because writing was my whole heart. It was my whole life. And, and so, you know, I would have these jobs and then I would like write little notes on the side. And sometimes um, I would write during my lunch breaks. I would write before work, after work, weekends, you know, I, I just always found a way because I felt like I had something to say and I really wanted the world to see that and to hear that. And so that's, that's what got me through. Yes, and we're also excited to hear you. You know, we're so excited to see um, Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter turn into a film. What has that been like? I mean, just the acclaims for that book and the, and how it's become a musical. And or was it a play or a musical? I'm it was a play. I, if it were a musical, I, I would have stopped that. Because <laughs> I, I know right? it's not necessarily meant for a musical, <laughs> um, but it will be a movie. We're really excited about that. Um, what is uh, what is your feelings about the, the the success of that novel? Your first novel? Yeah, it's been incredible. I never imagined. You know, I didn't know that I could be so large um, that the reception would be so warm and amazing. Um, I just couldn't have conceived of that because I just hadn't really seen that much in terms of, you know, Latina writers, you know, there's Sandra Cisneros who's been so acclaimed and, you know, she's amazing, uh, a real trailblazer, but, you know, there, there weren't that many others. I, I couldn't really see other examples of like this wild success. And so um, I'm extremely grateful. I feel that my readers um, have changed my life. And I, I love that, that so many people feel so strongly about the book. And then as far as the movie, this has been um, in the works since the book came out essentially. And so I've been in the, in these negotiations and talks for so many years, it's been like five years and there's so many like ups and downs and delays. And cause you know, the business is, is really un uh, unpredictable and um, it's a business I don't know well at all. And so it's been um, I, I've learned how to be patient and also working with America and Linda on the script. I mean, they wrote the, the script. I just looked it over and was like, oh my God, you guys are amazing. You know, like it was incredible what they had done. And so I, I am extremely excited because they have such a like beautiful vision that is very authentic and it's very in line with the way that I, I see the book. And so um, yeah, it's coming along. I promise it's just taking longer than, than we ever thought. And, um, I can't wait to see the result. It's just going to yeah. be incredible. I think we are all very excited. Yes. Thank you. I'm curious what it was like, the difference between writing a, a book, like I'm not your perfect Mexican daughter and then writing this memoir, what the experience of writing those were like, the, the differences. Well, you know, in, uh, the, the process of writing Mexican Daughter, I had to like 
really embody that voice of a teenager. I had to really feel that again. And, and that was very painful in many different ways, but um, I, I, I needed that to capture the, the spirit of, of this girl. And so um, now with, with this last book, the memoir, I, I have to confront parts of myself that I didn't confront before. Um, I had to like go to these places that are very uncomfortable and um, and I felt like I had to really push myself because I wanted to to do something different. I didn't want to write the same book. So I felt like I'm going to, you know, write this nonfiction book and tell the literal truth as best as I could and try to also make sense of my life and then bring in all, all of these other different influences uh, because I've been so influenced by by so many writers, by so many artists, by music, by uh, TV, everything. And so um, it, the, the process was, was different in that, like with, with the novel, I could, I could make stuff up, you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't quite me. It was part of me, but it wasn't. And so when it came to the memoir, I just had to tell the truth. And that in some ways was, really terrifying. And um, I had to kind of reckon with parts of my life that I hadn't thought about so much. We normally ask all of our guests three questions. They're like rapid fire, sure. super fun questions. Yeah. No right or wrong answer, whatever, whatever comes to mind. So um, I will go ahead and, and start us off with the fun question, which is, um, you know, you know, matraca, Mexican matraca. So what, what gets your matraca? What gets your <laughs> shout out? Could be big or small. What are you celebrating? You know, I'm celebrating being home right now because uh, the tour has been amazing, but like I'm very, very tired and I, I need to recharge and I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating just being with my family. Um, my daughter, I miss her so much when I'm gone. And so I just really want to spend some time with her and um, smell her little head and give her hugs and things like that. So that that's that's what's get it, getting me going. Yes, being home. So the next question is, what goes in la basura? It could be big or small. What are you canceling? What are you done with? What goes in la basura? White supremacy. I just, I have no tolerance for it. You know, in any shape or form, I'm done with it. I don't accept it. I accept it in my house. I don't accept it in the world. I, I reject it when I come across it. There's just no way that we can keep living like this with this like stupid notion that white people are inherently superior. Like I can't, you know, it makes me want to scream and, and I have screamed at people as a result. Um, and so that that's, that's in the trash. I'm just, no, 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 thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> we are fully on board with that. Basura. Um, and then lastly, we'd like to ask our guests, what is giving you calma? So this is something that is helping you stay grounded right now. Um, sometimes taking a break from like devices, I think that is really helping me just come back to myself and remember what is most important and, uh, remember that human connection, um, in, in real life is what really gives me joy. And also, um, I've been meditating and chanting and, uh, moving my body, in, in ways that just feels good, not 
not to lose weight or to like burn calories, but because it feels good. And so those are the kinds of things that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to focus on right now. I love that. And I love the reframing of exercise to, or, you know, thinking of it like that to body movement. Mm -hmm. Since I made that change, I've I've noticed a big shift in in how I feel around it. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Erica. Thank you. And then we do have um, one last question, which is just what's the next step for you? You know, and also what do you want to share with the listeners that's coming up? Sure. Well, um, as you mentioned, I do have a podcast called No Chingis. Um, and I do that with my brothers and my husband and it's been really, really fun. It's just the four of us talking about how stupid white supremacy is and and making fun of it. And it's, um, it's been really like fulfilling for me. Um, and then also I'm working on a children's book. I mean, it's nowhere near done, but it's, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot and, and, and I do have a draft and then um what else I I am also thinking about a possible novel for the future I have a, like two competing ideas and so I'm going to see which one wins and then also I write poems I just always write poems so I'm, I'm building a poetry collection and um I'm a very slow writer so it probably will take me a very long time but but it's something that is in the works. Excellent. Well, we're so grateful for you making the time to join us. This is fantastic. We appreciate you very, very much. And what is a good place for folks to keep up with your work? Well, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I have a website, ericalsanchez.com. It's very easy to find me. So yeah, um, it's just my full name, Erica L. Sanchez, across platforms. Beautiful. Thank you again for joining us, Santa Marindo. This was so much fun. Uh, We absolutely love everything that you do, and we wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you, Erica. Bye-bye. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Our producers are Mitzi Hernandez and Augusto Martinez of Sonoro Media. Our theme song is by Jeff Ricards. If you want to support our work, please rate and review Tamarindo Podcast on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI FPEI 220099. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.